Best feeder. Y'all are still young enough, old enough to remember this little jingle. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> Some of y'all are really getting into it out there. All right, welcome to Northwest. I'm going to rush along here. We took care of some family business this morning, so if you're visiting, if you're here as a special guest for the baptism, thank you for being here. Um, uh, family business is important because the, uh, the life of the body is our families. So, but the sermon where I'm going to be talking about for a little while this morning is not to worry. I'm going to piggyback on Pastor Mark's sermon last week, where he talked about promises, and along with inheriting the promises come the challenge that God will give us so that we can apprehend and take hold of those promises. And so today, the number one challenge that I see to taking hold of the promise that God has for your family specifically, for your life, for your business, is the fact that so many of us worry. And we're going to just start right in because of time. And he, one of the things that is so different about Jesus is he doesn't live his life as a question. He makes a statement. He says right out, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Do not worry. I love that. This says something to me. This tells me that I have a choice. If he's saying not to do something, that means that it's within my power, within my ability to obey him. So he starts right out with, do not worry. Now, first, let me start by changing the word worry for some of you men, because a lot of men I know don't use the word worry. That, that just is not a word that, that some men use. So let me replace the word worry with Jesus saying, do not be anxious. Do not be full of tension. Don't brood. I was raised in the South, and we said stew. Has anybody familiar with that word? We're stewing about it. That meant we were anxious and worried about something. So Jesus is just full out saying, you don't need to worry. I'm going to talk about some questions here, and this is what he's saying as we read through these 10 or 11 verses that Jesus said. Who of you, by worrying, by brooding, by being anxious, by being fearful, can add a single hour to anyone's life or your own life? I wish it could. If, if worrying and fretting could add length to my days, I would live to be about 150, 160, because this is something that it tangles itself around me. And I have to remember that Jesus said, this is a command, Crystal, Crystal, I got this. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't be anxious. And he, in the first part of this scripture, he is bringing an awareness to our mind and to our life about what worry is and what it means to obey this commandment. So who can add a single hour? Of course, no one can. And who has probably taken a year off of our own life because we are worrying? This particular command that Jesus tells us is, is, 
impactful to me because something about my childhood, I was raised in a Christian home, wonderful missionary parents, wouldn't trade it for any other experience, but there was some ingredient going on and I never figured it out, but I was a very worried child growing up. I don't know if it's because we moved so much, if it's because we were missionaries, I don't, I haven't figured it out, but I was a worrier. And it had effects in my body as a child. I remember um, one particular morning, again, I was crying and weeping because I didn't want to go to school. And my hair had already started to fall out in pieces. That's how consumed, as a child, I was about, worried about things things in the future, things that only a child worries about that a parent has no idea what they're thinking. So this scripture brings peace to my heart, even saying it this morning. How many of you, by worrying, is driving people in your life out of their ever-loving minds? Bam. Has upgraded your wardrobe? Has worry reduced your grocery bill? Has worry assured you of who our next president will be or won't be, has worry. What has worry done to add value to the things that are valuable to your life? The things that really make our life what it is, passion and purpose and destiny and recognizing that we are made for eternity. What has worry brought to that equation. Here's some, just a little tiny graph chart. Worry comes from a, the German word that means to choke or to strangle. If you think about it, what worry does, it literally will choke the life out of your body, out of your emotions, out of your mental health. Worry, when left unchecked, when, when just frolicking through your mind, through your emotions, can literally affect your physical being. And we know that, so I won't spend any, any real time on that. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Wow. You wonder why Jesus picked those things, but in the first century, those were things of life and death importance. Clean water was an issue. Having enough food to eat was an issue. Having the proper shelter was an issue. These were not just, gee, I wonder if I'll max out my credit card this month. I wonder if I'll, no, this was a matter of life and death to them. So Jesus is saying, you know, of the things that really are important, these are important things, but I don't want you to worry. And I don't even know, I guess it lends itself to the question, how? How? Lord, you're saying, don't worry. He's talking to his disciples and some followers and some people just sitting around on the grass listening to him, much like we are today. And the question is, how? Fine, don't worry. I see the importance. I see that it's not gotten me anything of value by fretting about what's going to happen tomorrow. But how do you do that? The key is the future. The key is thinking about tomorrow, next week, next month, and dragging those 
thoughts, those troubles into this day. This day. This day I can plan. This day I can pray. And I can do nothing about what's coming tomorrow. Let's see what Jesus says. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothes? (laughs) Now, moment of honesty, clarity. If you look at my credit card bill sometimes, you would think that my life consists of where we've eaten that month and what things I've bought. Because that seems to be the, except for the building fund, pastors, where are they? Except for the building fund, a lot of what we spend our money on is food, clothing, shelter, of course. But isn't your life, isn't my life worth more than that? Isn't our life about Look at the birds of the air. Now remember Jesus, they were outside. They were sitting on a hillside. And he's talking to them. And the birds are naturally flying. So he just says, look, look at, look at what you see around you. So there are the birds. We can look. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? It's a good question. Are you? We talk a lot, and and, and most Christian circles, we talk about our value as as a daughter of the king. And Jimmy was talking about the value that's being sown into Aubrey, that she is a princess of the Most High God. We talk a lot about that. And I'm wondering, I want to make sure that it gets from here and from here that it's sown in our heart how valuable we are to God because we're made in His image. Not recognizing that, not having that sown in our hearts, not truly believing that causes us to want to worry and fret because we don't think we're worth God's attention. Maybe perhaps we might believe some days that God is able, that God is in our tomorrow. One of the things I mentioned in the first service, one of the things that I love about God, that sounds kind of crazy to say that, because what's not to love about God? But one of the things I appreciate is the fact that he is outside time. He's outside space, indeed. He holds everything together by the power of his word. And so what I think about today, and I mark time like tomorrow, God doesn't. He is already in my tomorrow. He is there. And when I tend to fret, and I want to drag what I'm worrying about tomorrow into today, to agitate and worry this day, Jesus is saying, I'm already there. I know. I know. I know what you need, and I'm there. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you? And here is the epicenter of worry. Here is the crux of it. O ye of what kind of faith? Little. 
He is equating my worrying, which seems like a really natural thing to do. I mean, who's really going to say I've conquered worry? Everybody worries a little bit. Come on now. But he is equating my worry, my permission that I give myself to fret and stew and to rob God of his glory by thinking he will not provide for me and my family and my church and the people that I love. I want to rob him of that glory by worrying today about a future that I cannot control anyway. So he says that's little faith. If he loves me more than the things that he has created because I'm made in his image, will he not? Will he not take care of you, your needs, your concerns? How important do you really believe you are to God? Are you worth him inclining himself to meet you at your point of need? Do you believe that you're worth that? Does the scripture say that you're worth that? Do you trust him? I have to answer that question for myself. To accept the challenge that was preached last week, to grab hold of the promise that is specifically for me. I can't yank something out of context and wave it and pretend, but no, the promise that is sown into my heart that is for me, for my family, for my children and my children's children. The challenge is to believe it and to trust God to bring it to pass. So do not worry. He keeps saying that like it's something that we can do. Why do you think that is? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, and this particular place, pagans means, the word pagan means everyone else. The other people that do not have God as their heavenly father, that do not know there is a God that will provide, that have not accessed that provision for their life. For the pagans run after all these things. Run the time, energy, emotion, frustration, tension. It's all spent trying to get the things that God has said. I will provide that. I will provide that. And he's not saying don't work. He's not saying don't plan. He's not saying don't set goals. That would be irresponsible. But he's saying in this day, in this day, plan and pray. Do what I've called you to do today. Do not drag what's coming tomorrow into today. But seek first. These are very familiar words that our master has said to us. Now, it's interesting because I highlighted it for you. Run after and seek first are translated from Greek terms, and both of those two phrases have the exact same Greek phrasing. So... To a geek like me, you, that just means you can, you can turn them around. And so, for the pagans, seek first all these other things. But you seek first my kingdom. Or you could read it as, for the pagans run after these things, but you run after 
You run hard after me. You seek me first. That will show that you are my child, that you trust me. Chasing things mentally in our mind, worrying and fretting as if that will somehow turn it into reality. Jesus says, don't do that. That is not what I have planned for my children. That's not the peace that I have planned for you. Seek his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about, now you fill in the blank. The Bible says tomorrow, but what is tomorrow in your life today? Do not worry about the surgery. Do not worry about that interview. Do not worry about that promotion. Do not worry about saying those words to your family that you need to say in love. Do not worry about what? What is that thing in your heart that you give your thoughts over to at night? What is that circumstance? What is that situation? What is the relationship that you fret or you brood? You're anxious and agitated. Do not worry. I wish he hadn't have said this. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He has provided to be with us each day. And me dragging tomorrow's problems, he has not made provision for that. That comes tomorrow. He's there. He's there. Later on, Jesus was talking to his close disciples And he knows what's getting ready to happen, doesn't he? He knows the crucifixion is coming, the beatings. He knows what's coming for the 12 disciples. He knows. And here's what he chooses to say. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Of all people, they had reason to worry. They had reason to be afraid. And if they knew what was getting ready to happen, they would have truly, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. You believe the Old Testament. You believe the truths of the Bible. Now believe in me when I tell you, don't worry. I got this. I know what you are facing tomorrow. I know what's coming. I'm there. I am there. I am already there. It won't surprise me. won't catch me off guard. It won't catch me unfunded, unprovided. I am there. Do you trust me? The issue of worry is faith in God. Don't fool yourself into thinking it's anything other than a lack of trust in our Heavenly Father. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. What that means to me is, for so much of my life, the peace that I would feel 
was kind of um, conditional on my circumstance. I got a promotion, or the relationships were all working well, or I didn't have to worry about my health, or whatever. That would make me feel what I would think was peace. But that can't really be peace, because the peace that God is talking about here, expressed through his son, is a peace that cannot be taken away no matter what circumstance I'm going through. Unruffled by the economy, unperturbed by politics, unmoved by my health. So I don't know if I've ever experienced this. I say that to my shame, to my embarrassment. And I know that this kind of peace is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the nine fruits, this peace. So Jesus, what do I need to do? What do I need to believe to access this peace that isn't dependent on a circumstance that can change at someone's whim, that can change with a country evading another country, that can change with a relationship going south, that can change, that can change. What do I do, Jesus, to have this peace that my spirit and my soul is unperturbed? Not that I'm not affected, not that I'm not engaged, not that I'm not moving through the world as Jesus called me to do it, but my heart is not moved by what I see or what I hear. And if, please, God, help us parents to sow into our children and our grandchildren to not be afraid of what's coming. I have my own personal person I want to be president, but if my personal person is not president, I am not gonna be afraid. Why? Why will I not be afraid of what happens with the economy? Because I know in who I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is fully able and competent. That is the trust we need to have to get the peace that we want. Amen? Let's wrap this up. God's peace is not dependent on circumstances. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Now, if you would stand with me, we're going to close with this. I know the sermon was shorter today, but yay. Um, About fast forward past Jesus' resurrection, about 32 years has passed. And the great, great last writer of the scriptures, the Apostle Paul, is writing. And of all the themes of the Bible that he could pull, from the Old Testament from the new, all the threads that he could take and pull on. He's writing to a group of first century Christians. They're in a region called Philippi. And these people had things to worry about. These people didn't have the problems that we have to worry about. Like I overspent and so I have to, or my car broke down so I need to, or they had, they had people knocking on their doors, dragging their children out into the streets, stoning the mothers, stoning the fathers, dragging them off, putting them in prison. They had problems. They had reasons to worry, of which we know not. So he's thinking about writing to the, his beloved children in the area of Philippi, and what should he say 
knowing that they're faced, some of them with death, some of them with unspeakable horror that they will live with. What's he going to say to them? What could calm their heart so that they could persevere? Because his great dream and passion is that the churches that were planted and the people that were one to righteousness would persevere, would not turn their back on Christ, would not fall away. What can he say to this band of Christians? Read this with me, please. Don't worry about what? Worry about your children that might be taken and thrown into prison. You have good reason to worry about. You don't have, you're going to starve to death. The Christians in this region have no food. What can I write to them that will stand them in good stead and that Christians throughout the centuries can read that is inspired by God's Spirit? Don't worry about. Instead, pray about we get so used to wanting a formula, wanting something that's, give me five steps. If you give me five steps, I can do that. And if I do those five steps, I feel like I've somehow earned the right for God to bless me. But God's done it all already. If it depended on me, it wouldn't happen. Maybe you're different, but with me, it wouldn't happen. So he says, don't worry about anything. I've got this. I've got you. I've got your child. I've got eternity for Pete's sake. I own it all. But I want you as my son, you as my daughter to pray about everything. Let's read that next sentence. Tell God, thank him for all. Can it be that simple? Can it possibly be that simple, that uncomplicated? And the answer is yes. And you know why? Because of who He is. That's why it's simple for me to walk in because He has already paid the price. He has already done everything that needs to be done. He is already there. He's waiting with the provision I need tomorrow. He's waiting with what I need in my emotions, in my strength. He is there waiting for me already. I got this. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He's done. Of all things, His children should be marked with a great mark of thankfulness, of gratefulness. The price we were purchased with and we did nothing except say yes. We have to be, of all people on this earth, a thankful, grateful people. Don't forget to thank Him for what He's done. Then, read it with me please, you will experience peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Thank you, Jesus. Because if it's depending on my understanding, there is a limit. There is a hoop I jump through in my understanding of what God has allowed to give me because of what I've done or what I haven't done or what I might do. But His peace, Jesus, I want. I want that peace. The peace that is the fruit from your spirit, not the peace that can be taken away by what happens tomorrow. 
His peace will guard my heart. That supernatural fruit of peace will guard my wandering heart. Jesus, my heart wanders. I'll go this way one day and then I'll see something over there and then I'll go that way and then I'll see something to catch my eye and I'll go off on this way. God, guard my heart so that I seek after you. I run after you. Guard my heart and then guard my mind. Guard my mind. How many of you are tormented? You're so worried. You're so fearful. But our inheritance, our portion, is peace, is provision. It will guard our hearts, guard our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. Amen. Will you pray with me, please? I've had you standing for a long time. I forgot y'all were standing up. <laughs> Good. Now you know how it feels. Okay. <laughs> Father, we affirm that your words are truth. We affirm that the words that you speak are the words that we will plant in our heart. We affirm that we are your children and you are a good Father. Father, as we listen to Jim talk about his daughter, how he loves her, how he wants the best for her, how he is surrounding her with people that will support her. Father, that is what you are to us as well. How much more so? And Lord, you have said that our inheritance is peace, unshakable, unalterable peace. Father, we reject and we repent of the sin of worry. We call it out for what it is. It is a sin. It is an affront to your provision. It is an affront to your goodness. And it shows how weak our faith really is. How much we really don't trust you. How much we don't extol and understand your greatness. So Father, we repent this morning for the sin of worry about cleanse our heart from letting our, ourselves want to stew and worry. Forgive us. Help us to form a new habit of praying about everything and thanking you for what you've already done. Leaving it in your hands Father, you're waiting for us in our tomorrow with good gifts, with the strength that we need, with the provision that we need, for the words that we need. Your blood will cover us. Your spirit will fill us. And we will be sons and daughters whose lives are marked by unperturbed peace. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We will not let our hearts be troubled. We will not let our hearts be afraid. We believe in you, and we believe in God. So, Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for those that are visiting today. We ask that you send them on their way with hearts filled with minds challenged, with decisions, 
made. We love you, Father. We love you. You are great. You are glorious. You're splendid. And you're our daddy. Blessings on your daughters and sons. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. We love you. It's been a wonderful day.